Good morning and welcome to The Morning Fix. I'm Julie Dye and I'm here with Amy Shepard. Good morning. Morning Fix is a podcast series brought to you by the 510K Cafe. We interview medical technology leaders to discuss trends, innovations, and the future of marketing and communications in the med tech industry. Today, we're really excited to speak with Dennis McWilliams. Dennis is a serial entrepreneur in the medical technology space and has been involved in creating several successful medical device and biopharmaceutical companies. Currently, Dennis is a partner at Sante Ventures, a healthcare and life science investment firm specializing in early stage companies. Dennis is also a founder of Spark Med Advisors, a med tech advisory firm. He was also CEO of Apollo Endo Surgery, a medical device company that developed devices for minimally invasive surgery. Dennis is co-course director for the Best Innovation course taught at the IHU Institute in Strasbourg, France. He is also a member of the Center for Biodesign Advisory Council at Johns Hopkins University and is a frequent lecturer in the Stanford Biodesign Fellowship Program. Dennis is truly an ambassador for the medtech space in Austin and beyond, and we're thrilled to speak with him today. Welcome, Dennis. Thanks, Julie. Nice to be here with you and Amy today. Yes, welcome. Dennis, when we launched our Deep in the Heart of MedTech Innovation in Austin series, we wanted to speak to an expert on the investment side, and I only had one person in mind, which was you. With your background in MedTech, I knew you could speak to the VC landscape best, especially early stage. Also, Sunday Ventures invests in startups all over the country, not just Austin. So you have an idea of how other, other life science ecosystems grow and work. How do you think Austin can compete on the national and global med tech stage? No, I, look, I, I've been homegrown here in the Austin ecosystem, um, and so I've always had a vested interest in seeing um, our, our local med tech and life sciences scene grow. You, you know, so I think there's there's real value in the work that's being done here in Austin. And, and you know, if you look at kind of the, the the big core areas out there. I mean, certainly Silicon Valley, the, the Bay Area um, has long been the, the leader, um, particularly in, in med tech. Um, you've had some other pockets of things that have evolved in, in other areas, but but that's been, you know, clearly the, the group that's been out there. And, and a lot of investors have been, been based out there. You know, that being said, the nice thing about medical innovation right now is that, you know, the innovation is being globalized. And, you know, with the pervasiveness of, you know, kind of rapid prototyping techniques and, um, you know, other ways to to build and prototype um, new medical innovations, that innovation can happen in a lot of different places now. And, and Austin has started to build itself as a really solid level two um, ecosystem for med tech. You know, you've had um, uh, several companies within the region that have had good success. I mean, you mentioned some of the work that we did at Apollo. Um, you know, if you look at TVA Medical and what Adam Berman's done there and, and some of the startups that involved there, um, you know, we've seen, had some nice success. You know, Kim Bridges and Assessa um, Health um, was another recent success story that we've had. And then you have some of the large companies um, have been based here as well. Um, you know, long, long ago, Zimmer um, set up headquarters with, you know, a small headquarters here with an acquisition in the orthopedic space. And that's kind of involved to bring in groups like St. Jude, which is now part of Abbott. Um, and, you know, a couple of other large uh, corporate um, institutions are here um, that have been developing a medtech. And that helps bring the, the talent base um, into Austin that allows some of these earlier stage opportunities to grow. Do you think that Dow Medical School has a hand in that as well? 
I think it will. I, I mean, I, you, you know, I think we're we're starting to see some of the effects of Delmed, um, you know, on the ecosystem as it goes. I, I know for a lot of us, we we thought that that was kind of the key missing ingredient that that we needed here in Austin to really help us reach that next level. Um, was to have a place where you could have some earlier stage innovation happening, you know, have some of that academic research um, start that, um, you know, can spin out into companies. And so certainly that's been a key piece. And I think, you know, as Dell, you know, continues to grow and, and be a more critical part of the, the innovation ecosystem here, uh, yeah, I think we'll see the fruits of that continuing to, to grow and to show. And, and you're starting to see, a, a, you know, a, a few spin outs here or there coming out of there that were homegrown within that institute. And then, you know, also the talent that they've brought here and been able to maintain here, um, you know, on the academic side has been valuable as well. And so, you know, I think for 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 me as an entrepreneur and, and now as an investor, you know, that's been a key part of uh, the continuing evolution of the Austin ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And I, I'm familiar with some of the projects at, at Dell and some of the, you know, the small med tech startups that, have come out of their organization and it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time and along those same lines in, we're in this we're in this obviously this pandemic environment how do you think that covid has affected the deal flow for young companies I think, you know, I'll put my entrepreneur hat on and then I'll put my, my venture hat on you know I, I think from the entrepreneur side I mean the good news is that capital is still out there. You know, there's probably never been a better time, you know, well, before the pandemic, there was probably never a better time to have a med tech startup that you were trying to fund. I mean, you know, of course it's all relative and when it's your own startup, it's always hard to find money, but you know, it's better now than, than it had been. Um, and you could attribute that to a number of things. I mean, you know, the M&A window has been consistent for MedTech. And then, you know, the IPO window has actually been open and several companies have had successful IPOs. And so, you know, all in all, you know, capital has been there and, and venture funds have been able to access capital. And so I, I think, you know, the, the ability to fundraise um, is still there. Um, I, ca- I contrast this to the um, the crash of 2008, 2009, the financial crisis back then when I was running Apollo. And, um, you know, that 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 was a lot different from a startup perspective, because there you just had a, kind of a really a freezing of capital and, and, and an inability to access cash even at the fund level. And so you had venture funds that weren't able to, to you know, do follow on investing and weren't meeting their obligations to companies and such. We've not seen any of that during during COVID. Um, you know, I think all of us, when this first hit, we did hit the pause button for a second to kind of assess where the markets were going and 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 you know what approach that we would have. But you know, luckily the you know, cre- credit markets kept flowing and, and dollars kept flowing, and so you know we kept investing um, full speed ahead at Sante. In fact, we've done. You know, I think we're all told we'll have done eight investments this year, um, you know, in a year that, you know, albeit has been significantly challenged by COVID. You know, I think on the venture side, in terms of evaluating deal flow, I think it's cert- something that we're certainly all concerned about. You know, you know, the, you know, particularly if you think about in January, we'd all be normally heading up to San Francisco for the JP Morgan conference, which has traditionally always been the, the kickoff of the deal making year. So it'll be interesting to see in the absence of that, you know, how deal flow goes. You know, we've noticed a, a, a slight drop um, in, in our deal flow numbers and just in terms of things coming across, coming through. Um, you know, I, I probably attribute that more to, 
you know, companies, you know, there's probably even a little bit less com- new company formation right now. It's probably not the best time to be spinning out and trying to start something new. But for the companies that are out there, um, they're raising money and, and closing um, on financing. So I think, you know, all in all, that's, you know, that, that's probably pretty good news for MedTech. And then as we come out of the pandemic, you know, hopefully it'll it'll provide a, a potential for, for the boom to continue. Well, that's really good news for, you know, many of the companies, you know, in Austin and beyond that are, you know, still out there looking. I know of a couple of them who are, you know, kind of actively fundraising right now. So it's good to hear that, you know, Sante and others are still bullish on this market. One of the things we'd love to hear from your perspective is, you know, what are some of the emerging trends um, that you see in this space? You know, we've been kind of following what's going on with femtech and health tech and some of those areas. I'd just be curious to hear, you know, from your perspective as a as an investor, what do you think's hot right now? Oh, gosh. <laughs> You know, the, the definition of what's hot is always in the eye of the beholder of it. Um, you know, I, I've always loved kind of you know, different, you know, kind of you know, technologies off the beaten trail. Cardiovascular has always been hot, of course, and it continues to be. I mean, it continues to be such a huge problem and, and devices have, have consistently been able to make huge impacts um, in cardiovascular health. So, I, you know, I think cardiovascular will, will always be strong. Um, you, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time in the surgery space and, you know, certainly surgical robotics is, is a very hot space. Um, yeah, there's been tremendous amount of capital going to the robotization of surgery across uh, various different indications. Um, I think that's now expanding to what we would call digital surgery. And so, you know, the, the ability to take data and analytics and apply that more specifically in the surgical OR is, is certainly um, an, an interest area and, and one that we've made some investments in the past um, year. So, yeah, I think that's, that's good. I, I would say more, whole, you know, kind of more generally though, I would say that, that the trend that I'm seeing is just convergence. I mean, you just have that tremendous convergence of technology where, you know, you have the ability to, you know, take devices and things that are going on there and, and med- melding them with analytics and, and machine learning algorithms. And, and that overall convergence is, you know, really going to be great for patients down the road. I mean, just the ability to kind of combine, you know, large data sets and, and the insights from that into, you know, more and better uh, device interventions, I think is um, an exciting, exciting trend that will only continue to accelerate, I believe. Well, and I think that's one of the interesting things about, you know, where Met, where Austin is in this whole sort of med tech ecosystem, right? Because if, if you've got the traditional med tech startups, but you also have this technology ecosystem, right? That's been here since Dell and even before, right? And it seems like those two worlds are very much colliding. Yeah. We had another guest on our podcast who had said, you know, now if you're a developer, you know, you can go work for Oracle or you can go work for this new, you know, med device startup that has, you know, connected um, integration with, you know, software and security and everything else. So I think it's a really an interesting place for Austin to be because those two worlds, um, you know, are, are, are coming together. No, Julie, I, I, it's a great point. I couldn't agree more. Um, you, you know, and, and Austin's strength in the um, in the information uh, space, it, you're really going to start seeing the, those fruits bear in, in some of the medical applications they're doing, whether that's a hardcore device or whether that's analytical tools on top of it. I think we certainly feel that. And, 
you, you know, having a really strong academic center here, um, you know, with a great computer science department at UT and, you know, you know some of the other local institutions at St. Ed's and ACC who are kind of training technical talent. Um, you know, I think there's there's a real ability for Austin to take a leadership in this kind of this converging health tech scene that's that's, uh, you know, uh, going across the United States and across the world. Yeah, that makes sense, Dennis. Just just switching gears a bit. Many of our listeners are interested in marketing trends, and I wanted to go back into your career a bit. You were a leader um, at Apollo Endosurgery for many years, and one of the products the company marketed during your time was called Overstick, which is a suturing device. Talk about marketing to physicians and consumers. What were the challenges and opportunities? It's, it's, that's an area that's gone through a tremendous amount of change. I mean, you know, I think, you know, for, for so long, um, you know, marketing was targeted, at least on the medtech side, targeted specifically for physicians. Um, and there was really you know, very little work that was done to um, you know, focus on direct to consumer, uh, direct to patient type of, of advertising. And that certainly started to shift. I mean, you know, for so long, direct to, to patient advertising was only or marketing was only really done by the pharma companies. Um, but medtech companies are really um, you know, taking a strong interest and in having developed those strategies on it. Um, it is a lot more complicated, um, though, I think, on the device side. And we learned that at Apollo, um, where you, know, you have you know, a, a device that's indicated for um, specific surgical applications and, you, you know, the, the nuances of um, you know, trying to direct a, a patient to a procedure versus to a specific device um, is always very challenging because you know, patients oftentimes don't necessarily care about the actual device that's being used on them. They care about the procedure and what those outcomes are going to be. So, so managing some of those nuances are, are, are important. And then, you know, of course, the compliance aspect of um, you know, healthcare compliance and, and what you can do for patients and, and how you interact with uh, physicians um, is, is much more rigorous um, on the device side than it is on the pharma side. And so, you, you know, I think that that type of um, complication, um, it, it's a challenge to kind of wade through. It, it's certainly possible and certainly you're, you're seeing some good examples of success uh, of companies that have been able to figure that out. But, um, you know, it, it's still it's still tricky trying to find that right ROI um, equation that you can do um, as you're trying to you know, build a blended marketing campaign. So, you know, finding groups that have had good experience doing that was is, is as critical now as it, as it ever has been. Do you recall any challenges your marketing team had with with, you know, at the time social media was becoming much more useful and marketing was, was relying on it as a channel to get their message across. But to your point, it's difficult to stay on label and to, to keep to your regulatory approved message on social media, especially to end patients. And I'm just curious if you had any thoughts or any, any memories of, of what your marketing team might have, might have gone experienced or gone through trying to market a product to social media, which is like the, the world of the wild west in essence. Well, no. And, and I, you know, we did have a number of instances that, you know, a lot of our products that we sold at Apollo in addition to Overstitch and um, you know, we, we owned the lap band for a time and um, you know, had, um, you know, a number of devices for the obesity uh, population. And, 
And that's a population that's always been very well organized online, you know, whether it's Facebook channels or, or others. And it was it was a whole new world for us to manage. And, and, and you know, there's on one hand, tremendous opportunity in being able to access a direct conversation with your patients um, and, and your product around there, which you know, we certainly want to figure out. But at the same time, you know, these patient groups can take on lives of their own and in and, and opening up those channels. Um, I mean, you're, you're giving up control of your message oftentimes. And so. Um, you know, kind of figuring out that balance was was really important. And and then, you know, as I said before, the regulatory compliance aspects of that in terms of what you can say um, or, you know, you know, what happens if a patient gets on an online chat group and complains about your product? Well, that's a product complaint. And, and so having that surveillance mechanism, um, you know, and back, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I mean, a lot of this stuff was really just, you know, starting to go. And so I think a lot of it was evolving in real time for us as we were going there. And so that was exciting. Um, but it was, you know, it was certainly nerve wracking as well as, as, you know, you'd read chat groups, you know, talking about how much they loved or hated one of your products. I have one additional question for you regarding, you know, the work that you're doing at Sante. Um, Sante Ventures has really been one of the sort of grandfathers in the venture space, um, you know, in the in the healthcare and med world. And so I'd love to hear from you if there's a company out there who's listening and they're, you know, trying to get funding. What are the types of companies that Sante is really looking at, you know, in terms of where they are in their evolution, you know, size of company, um, you know, is it preclinical? Is it on market? You know, tell us a little bit more about the types of companies that are attractive to the Sante Ventures. Yeah, sure, Julie. I mean, I think for, for Sante, um, we are early stage investors. So we're one of the few groups that will um, you know, be the first institutional money in. Um, you know, we lead or co-lead any deal that we come in. Um, and we invest across life sciences. So, you know, we, we you know, clearly have been a player in med tech, but we also um, are active in biotech and have an evolving um, digital health, health tech group as well. And so as being an early stage investor, the trade-off we seek um, in doing that is is if we're right, you know, in an investment decision, we want to be really right. And you know, to say that uh, slightly differently, you know, we look for things that have transformative market opportunities. And so, you know, if you're, you know, working on something and it's, and it's an incremental type of uh, type of change to the market, that's great. And it, you know, could be a much lower risk type of deal and, you know, could have a nice moderate return profile to it. That's probably not a Sante deal. Um, you know, we're looking for things that are truly going to be market disrupting technologies um, that have the ability to produce um, you know, big dislocations um, in the market. And then, you know, from a venture perspective, uh, produce um, disproportionate returns um, on that. And so um, we're not afraid to take that type of risk. So, you know, we're we're willing to to, to go for you know, something that has more risk to it, whether that means it's it's earlier stage or means that it's, uh, you know, requires uh, um, an important pivotal clinical study to do it. We're willing to make those investments with the thought being that, you know, those will have, you know, real impact on value um, and provide a value inflection, positive value inflection change for the valuation of the company. Yeah, that that makes sense. Dennis, I wanted to to, to switch gears a, a little bit and really looking to you as a leader, I know there's a lot of professionals and 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 people looking to get into the field right now and um you know as we near the end of what will probably be one of the most memorable years of our lives 
what advice would you have for young professionals or or people looking to switch careers both on the startup side and on the established organization side? Well, I mean, I, I think the one thing that the pandemic has shown us is um, it, it's been capable of producing an inspiration and entrepreneurship. I mean, you know, everybody has been you know, responding to this by thinking of, you know, starting new companies or new things. I mean, heck, my uh, freshman high school freshman son has started a cookie business. And so, you know, um, you know, I, I think that there's, you know, it's been really exciting to see people's positive responses to this and, and, and also see how innovation has been able to uh, continue to flourish despite the challenges that it provided us. Um, but, you know, my number one advice to any entrepreneur or would-be entrepreneur is just, you know, perseverance. I mean, this is, uh, you know, clearly it's it's a war of attrition at times and keeping your company um, alive long enough so that good things can happen to it um, is probably the, the most important thing to try to remember. Um, you know, because there are going to be good times and bad. There are going to be times when the markets are really strong and um, you're going to find it easier to access capital and do those things. Um, but you're going to find out sometimes that, you know, hey, maybe your company is doing great, but, it, you know, the market's just not there yet or the, the ecosystem's not quite there yet. Um, and, and, you know, those things change and those things evolve as well, too. And so um, a lot of times the market can come back around to attack and, you know, you can't always control that timing. So, you know, being uh, tenacious and, and being able to persevere through those times and keeping your company afloat, um, your technology moving, um, you know, allows good things to happen to it. Thanks so much for that insight, Dennis. And we have one parting question for you. Since you're here on the Morning Fix podcast, we'd love to know what you do for your Morning Fix. Ah, gosh. Well, so I get up and I I fix myself uh, a nice little espresso coffee. And uh, usually right now up before the sun comes up and um, I love to take the, the dog for a walk. There's a little nature park down below our house. And so I like to go hit that trail and yeah, 30 to 45 minutes of uh, solitude in the woods is, is a great way to start the day as a, as a busy investor and entrepreneur. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for your time today. And we are really excited, you know, of the perspective that you brought to our podcast and the perspective that you bring just to the Austin and global marketplace. So thank you again for your time today. And to all of our listeners, we hope that you've been enjoying the series and please be on the lookout for more interviews from medical technology leaders. Thanks again for Morning Fix.